Okay. Silence is normally death. Uh, in a podcast, but I don't care. Okay. Huh. We text too much. All right. I found it, I think. I really agree with the West Indian guy, she says. Where else in the world could a melting pot of cultures exist you know, and pretty savvily together? You know, look, she, she's a, this country is fine so far. You know, look, she's making a point about something. Don't worry about that. And then I text her back. It's got its racist bits and so on, of course. And that's me texting. And she says, of course. You know, I'll, I'll put some emphasis on it as if she's speaking. Nowhere is perfect. And then I texted back, not on earth, anyway. Uh, he actually was saying Melbourne, specifically, was more diverse cultural. We don't worry about good grammar, by the way. Such that he feels blended in, more so than in other states he's been in. I was talking about Marvin, who happens to be the West Indian guy I met. Um, and we got chatting, you know. He was saying how much he loved Melbourne, basically. And then I said, he's very entrepreneurial, by the way. He's been all over. And I forgot to mention, Essendon cap. He was wearing a designer Essendon football cap. And then she says, ha ha. And, um, and then I've texted for whatever, you know, whatever point I'm making. We're making points because there are some people who are, or you'll, you'll, you'll get what I'm getting at. And of course, he spends a lot of time around. Oh, I've written. He's decided to join in locally rather than sit on the fringes taking pot shots at the perceived enemy. Yeah, she replies. He seems sane. I don't think I'm. Have, I don't think this is a problem to quote her there. And then I wrote, and of course he spends a lot of time around rural Vic. And I'm talking about. Oh, look, he happens to be um, an African West Indies, West Indian. You know, Trinidad and Tobago. I think he was from. Um, you know, we got chatting about cricket, of course. You know, because there's common ground between Australia and the West Indies. But anyway, and I speak of Marvin. You know, who, who was actually a great bloke. And I said, and of course, he spends a lot of time around rural Vic, Victoria, negotiating and making friends, acquiring produce and wine for his cool Carlton warehouse. So he's even integrated where you and I grew up in the country. Bingo, he belongs. Welcome, Marvin. And then she's texted, that's just amazing. Okay. Uh, and then I sent a picture of his shop. And that's his shop. And I said, corner of Rathdown and Elgin in the heart of Carlton. Very hip down there. He really is integrated everywhere. You could drop in there tomorrow and he'll be there. And I said, check out his branding, which was Tuberac. That's my home turf as a kid. Good on him. And then she said, wow, that is cool. Um, I said, it's actually a brilliant marketing blend. A touch of rural Vic in the heart of Carlton. Cross-culture, Australia style. Now, I'm making a point there. If it's cross-culture, Australia style, where we're blending two different types of Australian culture, then Australia's got culture. Yeah. If I could use my old way of speaking, rack off all you people who are always sniping at us. <laughs> okay. And then I've texted to her. So rather than snipe that Australia got no culture, you know, that's exactly how I typed it, instead he has found our culture and he's bringing it back to us and making money and friends at the same time. I say top marks to Marvin, winner. She agrees, good on your Marv, she says jokingly, you know. But all in all, 
I took not all that much interest in Marvin and nor him in me, except for a bit of chat about cricket and obviously getting along. We were both focusing all our attention on the third member of our little chat group. He was the one doing all the talking, Bjorn, from Norway, and he was drunk and extremely knowledgeable. And that's all. Um, So I'll leave it at that. Um, I made no attempt to make that listenable or interesting or anything. I I just felt like giving you a slice of a few different types of Australia in that episode. And I could go on and on and on. I could take you right around Australia and there's beach culture, there's surf culture, there's... Yeah, there's in well, and then there's indigenous culture, which is a whole extra box of frogs. You know, I almost think that deserves to be treated separately. In fact, I have in previous episodes in my podcast. Yeah, but um, yeah, I like the diversity of culture in Australia, and I like the way we're trying to get a few things together as well. But I don't like the idea of people saying that you know, we need to protect Ethiopian culture and Turkish culture, and we need to respect all that, but we need to smash Western culture, or Aussie Western culture, you know, that it's some, some, somehow a horrible thing that has to be hated. You know, it's a great thing. And the Australian flag's a great thing. You know? And so is the Indigenous flag. You know? And I like the Australian flag with the Union Jack in the corner. You know? And if you happen to get another flag and you know, we end up having you know, something Indigenous in the corner and you know, something... something Look, the un- a flag in half, you know, half Union Jack, half a quarters, you know. Qu- Union Jack in the top quarter, um, Indigenous flag in the other top quarter and, um, you know, Federation Star in the bottom left and Southern Cross in the bottom right or something. You know, mix it all up and make it a dog's breakfast if you like. But um, the, the Union Jack is a major part of Australian culture and will be for the foreseeable future and um, shouldn't be denied. It's a very important part of our culture. It's contributed to very bad things and very good things and so on and so forth. And you could just talk about this until the cows come home and that'll do. I'll just finish it right there. That was the least structured episode I've ever done, I reckon. And I'm saying that as someone who's done some pretty unstructured episodes end of that yeah. and it was absolutely non-comprehensive you know I wasn't trying to cover all bases just sitting here chatting because I happen to be by myself and the family's all gone and I've got a rare moment to myself where I'm sitting in my lounge room you know, whereas normally when I make these podcasts I'm on the run driving along in the car or on a walk you know but this was a nice relaxed one for me By the way, you stroke their bellies to get them to spawn. You actually stroke them. That's the salmon. Bjorn told us that. It's something to do with milk. Um, is involved in there somehow too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Bjorn, the Norwegian... Uh, he was telling Marvin and me all of this, and uh, and Marvin and I were both all ears. Yeah. Um, it was very convivial. I, I, I have to underline that. Anyway, so um, anyway, um, 
I, I think everyone was really wrapped after we'd... You know, we chatted for about an hour, and uh, the whole three of us were thinking, isn't that great, you know? And we really didn't care what each other's names were, and we didn't want to know. You know, we didn't do anything stupid like say, let's all catch up again, you know? We knew, we knew the, the uh, little click, click was uh, a ships-in-the-night sort of arrangement, and we all just took off, and, and that's it, you know? Um, so it was one of those things. We knew, you know, I just walked in off the street, and so did Bjorn, you know? Um, so sometimes uh, the best little moments are like that, and you could almost, you know, it's a bit trite to say, let's all, you know, let's all... Um, give me your phone number and, you know, let's all become social media friends or something. No! I didn't want to know any of them. I didn't want to ever see them again, you know, and I won't. Um, you know, that's not necessary. This is one of those moments in time. You know, you don't turn it into something. You don't force it to be something extra. Yeah, you know, that's the way these uh, little sessions go sometimes. Um, anyway, uh, and, and, and Marvin said, and it, in this he hinted at Australian culture, and he said, Melbourne's great. Now, where else, he said, you know, I kind of echoed that right at the start of this episode somewhere when I was talking about the Malvern Hotel, and it just, it just, I just twigged that Marvin had said that too. He said, where else, you know, could you get somewhere as good as this? You know, just three blokes sitting around a bar like this, you know. And he's, he was right. And what he was saying is, where else would you find anywhere as good as Melbourne is tonight? Yeah. Now, obviously, Marvin could find something wrong with Australia. You know, and so could I. And so could Bjorn. Uh, I could find something wrong with the West Indies and I could find something wrong with Norway too, you know. Um... But right at that moment, you know, Marvin was saying, and I think this is pretty true of his whole attitude towards Melbourne because he's very integrated, you know. In fact, he's going far better in business than I am. Uh, this Norwegian guy seemed to be pretty successful. Uh, he was a salmon breeder or fisher or something, and he goes around the world. He said he had spent 20 years in China, for example. You know. um, but, um, but Marvin, look, both these blokes were much more successful than me. That doesn't matter. Uh, the point is, Marvin was a winner, and uh, Bjorn was a winner, though he was drunk, um, and uh, and Marvin said, this is a great place. Now, obviously, he's an immigrant, and Bjorn is not. Bjorn was just visiting, clearly, on business, um, but Marvin, he, he is clearly here to stay in Australia, and... He's saying, I have come to a great place. Now, there are immigrants who come and snipe. You know? Look, they've got something to snipe about if they want to find it, or they can just choose to be winners. You know, something like that. Now, when Marvin was saying that, you know, I won't say in what context or anything, and, you know, you had to be there to know what he was talking about. But I think he was saying, this is great, you know, this is just great. And Melbourne's great and I just love... And he said, I just love getting up into the country and sourcing all my food and my wine and all that sort of stuff. And by that he meant, you know, central Victoria and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's fantastic, you know. He owns Australia more than I do now, you know, uh, because he's getting around... And, you know, to places that I used to own by being a resident of those areas. But, you know, he gets around and he's, he belongs. All right. So 
Look, Marvin's here. He's clearly an immigrant. He's wearing an Essendon football cap. Uh, I barrack for Essendon as well, as I may have noticed 80 or 90,000 times in this podcast. Uh, And he said it was great. Now, in that, he reminded me of my wife's uncle. Who, when who's who's Greek, and when he came to Australia, he he said, yeah, you know, there were some Greeks saying, "Oh, this this country's crap. This country's got no culture, whatever." And uh, you have to know what he's like. But he said, "What the hell are you talking about? You know, this country's wonderful. Look where we just came from. This country's fantastic. Look at it all. It's it's, it's got sewerage. The roads are straight. There's law and order. It's uh there's opportunity here and all that sort of stuff. You know." Um, and it was he'd walked you know they'd walked into a paradise now as far as he was concerned you know what i mean it's how you look at it now i find that really interesting um, because the only thing that can you know make beautiful little towns all over australia and um straight roads and law and order and you know everyone having a pleasant enough life and all that sort of thing the only thing that can build all those things and create all those things is culture now i know all those things are a travesty if you're an indigenous person but there's only perspectives isn't there and i'm talking about from marvin's perspective from west indies and from george's perspective from Greece. Okay, these are two, yeah, look, you can find someone to hate the joint and our culture and you can find people who like it, you know, but it's not universally true that it's one or the other. And a lot of people like to say that it is universally true that, for example, Australia's got no culture or it's got a crap culture or whatever, you know. Well, you know, I've just got a couple of examples there that are at least prove that it's not universally true. Because in that case, you only need two examples. And I've got two examples. One from the West Indies and one from Greece. Okay. Now, um, George has in the past explained what he meant by this is a great country. And he's talking about not the, one, not the Australia that emerged out of the post-war immigration that was the Italians and the Greeks. He was talking about the one that was there before they got there, the Greeks and the Italians. You know, the bulk of the Greek and the Italians. Of course there were Greeks and Italians here in Australia before then. But not, you know, I'm talking about waves of Greeks and Italians. And, you know, there were Afghanistanis here even. And Chinese, of course there were. Lots of them. But not in huge numbers, you know. They were isolated, you know. It was basically a British... Um, British Australian or an Australian British uh, construction uh, the nation state of Australia yes you can find it you know I saw a poster in Brunswick the other day and it was a picture of an Afghan camel driver from you know the 1800s clearly and um, and it just had the word Aussie under it and I said look what are you trying to prove you know we know that um, I just oh, yeah, anyway Ah, dear. And um, we're still British, you know. Aussie was still predominantly British, even if you did find one Afghani camel driver or even 100 Afghani camel drivers, and even if they had a significant impact on our culture and the Chinese as well, it was still a British construction, you know. Putting up a bloody post on Facebook or something, you know, that finds an example of an Italian... um, you know, coming to Australia in 1901 doesn't suddenly make this not a predominantly British construction, which it was.
just was, you know. Finding an Afghan camel driver doesn't sort of water down the Britishness of what the nation state of Australia was in 1901. It just was. It was a British construction. It wasn't an Afghan construction. It was a British construction. And the Afghans and any stray Italians and uh, Afghans that were hanging around at the time were, you know, aberrations, really. It's just British. Um, yeah, you don't want to go reinventing history. Now it's turning into something very different now, but that's how it started, you know, and that's the one that, for example, George walked into, and to some large extent, the one that uh, Marvin's walking into now, though he's walking into something that's a lot more multicultural now. It's had the benefit of the Greeks and the Italians, and of the Vietnamese in the 1970s too, yeah, and all, and people from everywhere, yeah. Um, Marvin, I, I got a sense of Marvin. He finds people fascinating. Yeah, look, there's um, when uh, when myself and that Norwegian walked in, he was ready to be interested in us, and vice versa. We were three blokes who were ready to be interested in each other. Now, he didn't care that we happened to be an an Aussie, and you know, <laughs> no, I'm not Afghani. Yeah. Because you remember that poster in Brunswick? Yeah. yeah. If I say I'm an Aussie, that means I'm an Anglo-Aussie. Yeah. Now, you can challenge that and say I shouldn't be calling myself an Aussie, but I'm telling you, I'm married to Greeks and everything, and they call me an Aussie. And what they mean by that is an Anglo-Aussie. Now, the Greeks that I'm married to, you know, my mother-in-law and her brother and all that, they call me an Aussie and themselves Greeks, essentially, you know, as a nickname, you know. They have been in Australia longer than me. They got here in the 1950s and I was born in the 1960s, but they still call me an Aussie, even though they've been Australians longer than me. Get flexible with your head. You know, don't get so... Don't hang by the apron strings of symbolism, as my physics teacher once told me. Um, it's contextual. If they call me an Aussie and they are not referring to to themselves, my mother-in-law, for example, you know, when she says, Aussies can't kick, can't cook, you know, and compared to her, they can't, you know. I really actually think that um, we were very unsophisticated in our culinary sort of uh, culture, uh, Australia, compared to what I've now discovered in my mother-in-law's cooking, for example, you know. Uh, I never ate like that before I met the Greeks, uh, so I don't mind saying that they've got that all over us as far as I'm concerned anyway. Okay, uh, but you know we had it all over the Greeks too, in some ways. Look, they brought a certain level of sophistication that we we really can't bring to the table, Those Australians or British Australians. Uh, they can bring, you know, if you've listened to my podcast as a whole, about forty percent of it is about ancient Greek culture. Now we can't, you know, we we can only steal that. We can only. Um, this is the sophistication that we lacked, and but but we're Western and we're smart enough to take it on. I've got no problem with saying that. In some ways, in a lot of ways, we're less sophisticated than the Greeks and the Italians, you know, especially the Greeks. Look, back in ancient history, uh, the Romans were less sophisticated than the Greeks, and the Romans were happy to. The Romans had what you might call what would you call it? virtue, um, power engineering skills, things like that, 
you know, they were the Romans, but they didn't have great cooking or anything like that back in the ancient time. The ancient Romans and the ancient Italians, well, especially the ancient Romans, I don't know about the Etruscans and all that sort of stuff, but the Romans were not great cooks. And even now, you know, most Italian food, what is it? Glorified, um, glorified white flour. You know, pizzas with, you know, the classic Italian pizza is really just dough. You know, with a bit of tomato paste on top. You know, they don't even put um, pineapple on or anything, you know. It's just dough. And what's pasta? Dough, you know, with a bit of tomato dressing. You know. Now, I know Italians get into vegetables and all that sort of thing, but when I go to an Italian restaurant, pretty much everyone's just eating dough, wheat, you know. Um, and there's pasta and, uh, yeah, maybe some... Yeah, just pasta and pizza, really, most of it, you know. And uh, and I just I just see and I I don't even eat white flour, you know. Went off that three years ago. Um, so I, when I go to an Italian restaurant, there's bugger all for me to eat, you know, because I don't eat I don't eat white flour or anything made from it, and I don't eat sugar or anything made from it, and I don't drink alcohol, so I can't even have their wine. So the Italians have next to nothing to offer me in terms of their normal fare in a normal Italian restaurant. Nothing. And that's what it was like in ancient Rome, too. Um, the Greeks had the sophistication, but the Romans didn't. The Romans had the power and the engineering skills and the political skills. Um, and the... Um, ab- no, not, more, not so much political, but administration skills. Um, and... Um, but not the cooking, you know. But the Greeks had the sophistication. They had the philosophers. The philosophers. And they had the... Um, and the Greeks had the, you know the thinking um and many many and, and the food they had the and and all that you know and the and the gods yeah um the arts and all that sort of so the greeks had heaps of things like that but the romans had all the important things that made them the rules of the world you know and to a certain extent we're probably a little bit more roman than greek you know in the modern age and to that extent australia was a little less sophisticated than the greeks who came here in the 1950s uh in as much as, you know, but that's sophistication. But we had something too, in the same way that Rome had something too, and George recognised that. And when he got here, he said, this country's great. Just like Marvin said the other day to me, or yesterday, uh, this country's great. Wow, this is a good country. Now, he's probably been around more than me, Marvin, and he probably knows this is a good country, and there's people that come here, and they're just losers, and they want to snipe, and they say, this country's crap. You know, I say, well... Could you please go home then? <laughs> you know, that's that's the first instinct, you know. I haven't thought that through very strongly, but I like Marvin. I like George. Um, and I like Australian culture, but I love Australian culture bringing on um, the cultural attributes of other cultures that come here. Uh, and I'd like to learn that from the winners and not the losers. Okay, something like that. Now, we've got a lot... Um, of improving that we need to do as Australians, especially when it comes to Indigenous people. And I'm not sure that many immigrants give a shit about Indigenous matters. There are high-rise buildings going up in Melbourne at the moment and they're just chock full of um, ants. You know, people... I think a lot of Chinese and all that sort of stuff, I don't know that they think they care much about Indigenous people. Of course you can find some that do. And put them up on Facebook and say, there you go, there's your proof, Charlie, you're wrong. But that's not proof. I'm talking about the, uh, the overwhelming uh, 
attitude, you know. I don't, oh, I don't know. I see people. I just see the the city abuzz, you know, with um, new population. Um, now we're becoming a mega city now, and uh, and I, I don't even think that the indigenous issues that consume us and consume me, even I've done lots of episodes on that, are, are, are very uppermost in the minds of many of um, the million, you know, the million or so immigrants that are filling those sorts of buildings. You know, I don't think they're thinking about all that that much. I think they're. I think they're busy carving out a new culture here in Australia. And good luck to them. Uh, I will make mention, however, you know, because I smashed the Italians just before, saying that there's not much I can eat in an Italian restaurant, given my strange diet, you know, which excludes white flour, white potato... Um, you know, sugar and alcohol. You know, there's not much for me to. You know, I have to get something that's a that's a bit of an exception on the Italian menu. But when I go to a Greek restaurant, I can eat just about anything off the menu. There's the difference. You know, that's the Mediterranean diet. Um, that even someone like me, who's given up such basic uh, a basic array of staple foods in the Australian sort of sense. Yeah. As I said, white potatoes, there are so many different things that are made from white potatoes and I don't eat any of them. Um, anything with you know, added sugar, there are so many things with added sugar, I don't eat any of them. Um, and, and, uh, and alcohol, you know, that is such a staple in Australia. Whether you go wine or beer or anything in between, uh, and I don't drink any of it, um, haven't for years. Um, I find myself a bit stuck in an Aussie setting and also in an Italian setting, but I don't find myself stuck in a Greek in a Greek setting. Uh, you know, um, the way my mother-in-law cooks, or the way um, the the way they cook in a Greek re- in, in a Greek restaurant, um, and you know that might be. Uh, uh, there, there are two types of Greek restaurant. Uh, there's the one the rural type which tends to be all browns and, you know, rustic and all that sort of stuff. And they've got a completely different uh, menu. No fish, very, very little fish. Um, and then there's the other type of Greek restaurant that belongs on a beach. You know, you can just imagine the taverna or whatever, or the, sorry, the restaurant on the beach. Um, it's all blue and white. You know, they tend to be painted blue and white. Um, uh, my in-laws come from the hills, you know, from the mountains. So... They're more comfortable with the uh, rustic, you know, hill food, uh, those sorts of, all the vegetables and all that sort of thing that you find in the mountains, not the fish, you know. Um, but, you know, whether it's a, a Greek sort of beach, uh, you know, island cooking, or it's, um, and this is just what I've found, you don't have to agree with me, if you're Italian, you're probably hating me now and saying, listen, you just haven't been to a good, good Italian restaurant, and probably that's a true, that's true. Um, but, um, yeah, the, but the, um, whether it's sort of mountain Greek food or beach Greek food, the brown or the blue and the white, um, I have no trouble find, finding food to eat off the menu. There are artichokes and all the whole everything, you know, lamb, I eat a lot of meat um, and all that sort of thing. So um, there you go.
Um, that's what I mean by sophistication of, of uh, food, anyway. Look, I haven't got into other areas of culture in this whole episode. It's, I just, it's just too, culture's too big. I haven't even got onto, you know, we've got a huge tradition in our family of doing Irish dancing. You know, that's folk dancing going way back. You know, people come here and say, oh, we've got, we've got folk dancing and folk music in our country. And I say, well, I'm Irish. You know, I said I'm, you know, I've been saying I'm British, but I'm British. Look, I'm Australian. Anyway, we've got a huge culture coming through the generations of Irish dancing and Irish music. Um, I'll put that up against, you know, Ethiopian traditional dress and traditional dancing and traditional music and all that sort of thing. It's right up there. In fact, I prefer Irish dancing. I've, I've watched Ethiopia. Look, Google it yourself. Google Ethiopia. I only happen to know Ethiopian dancing, but uh, and um, of of most of the African dancers anyway. Um, Google Irish dancing, and then Google Ethiopian dancing, and tell me which one you prefer. You know, so you can you know, and in in, in, in some other ways, Ethiopian is much more um, impressive. You know, culturally deep. Uh, than Ireland, you know, because um, they had glorious uh, kingdoms, you know. When um, Ireland, back in history, um, you know, they, they had, um, were scratching symbols on rocks, you know, things like that, you know. So in some way, look, I happen to think Ethiopian dancing looks a bit munted to me. Uh, oh, we've dropped our political correctness here, haven't we? But that's just me, you know. And what do you want, to, what do you want me to do, lie? Yeah, whereas I find Irish dancing tends to be amazingly impressive. But that's just me, and maybe I'm biased. Look, if you're not from Ethiopia and you're not from Ireland, put the two on and you be the judge. Uh, and, you know, all that works into Australian culture too. It's, you know, I could have talked about our Irish heritage. Look, I could have talked about our Chinese heritage too. But that was the exception. In fact, we were trying to keep them down. You know, the Chinese influence. We still are to this day. The White Australia policy was primarily, as far as I can see, about trying to stop Chinese influence swamping British Australia. I don't think it was even about skin colour all that much. You know, it was called White Australia policy, so it took on the sort of skin colour racism angle. And a lot of people who don't know history think it was only about skin colour, and they, that's just because they, you know, they don't know history. But it was really about the yellow peril, you know, you know, a fear of people who weren't even yellow. You know, even the Japanese who were white, you know, most of the Chinese were white too. Um, it wasn't about skin colour really, it was about living conditions and wages of people who happened to not have white skin as we understood it back then. You know, but the White Australia policy wasn't, prime, wasn't first and foremost discrimination on a skin colour basis. It was people back then who looked around the world and saw that everyone who had white skin, whatever country you might find them, were having, were, had higher wages and better living conditions, maybe for nefarious reasons, wrong reasons, but they made this judgment, and I think it was an accurate judgment, that people with white skin tended to have better living conditions and higher wages, you know, um, as far as they could see, you know, wide streets, um, you know, the sorts of, you know, like... Um, the sorts of uh, cities that Melbourne was back in the early days, huge, hugely wide boulevards, extremely straight roads, uh, total town planning, the whole bit. Um, they looked around, this is at the start of, you know, Federation of Australia, they looked around and they said, listen, 
um, we want Australia to be like, you know, Canada, the US, England, you know, and all these places. Um, and we don't want, the, want it to be like China, you know. Um, and, um, look, I think we were admiring of Japan. Japan was a funny one, but I don't want to talk about that right now. Japan, you know, they had higher sanitation than us and all that sort of stuff, but that's a separate point. Um, in one way, we admired them, but we didn't want them here, okay? Um, and we really didn't want them here once we saw what they got up to in World War Two. but that's a whole other story too. Look, culturally, they were different, and we didn't want that here. And I... I can see an argument for that. Have you got a problem with that yourself? You know, do you think we should have been so fearful of the Chinese? Well, have you read the news lately in 2019? The debate is no different. We are shit scared and unprepared and afraid of Chinese influence in Australia right now. And I don't see many people, uh, uh, you know, even um, what you might call progressive leftists um, arguing the toss, you know. They're frightened of China too, I think, the average um, progressive leftist. And in that, they don't sound all that different to me than the people who are debating the white Australia policy in the lead up to Federation in 1901. In fact, I think a lot of people in Australia would have voted to severely limit Chinese influence back then. And that severe limitation of Chinese influence and, you know, the influence of, you know, Australia becoming more like, you know, other countries that we didn't want to look like, at least. Look, Africa didn't really rate in the discussions back then, as far as I can tell, because it just wasn't even on the radar. But, um, you know, mostly Asia we were worried about. Um, but most people in Australia right now do vote very similarly on issues along the way, you know, ownership, property ownership and everything, in such a way that is discriminatory against Chinese people. And um, I don't think even progressive leftists, by and large, are making a big noise against that because the debate hasn't changed. And um, take Hong Kong, for example, which I mentioned. Um, even progressive leftists, I think they're on the side of the Hong Kong people saying, listen, Chinese influence, we, we've seen what they're doing to Hong Kong and that's an ex-British kind of place. Australia's the next kind of British place. Do we want to be the next Hong Kong? You know, that argument can be had. And if it can be had, we are essentially voting for a kind of white Australia policy right now in 2019. I mean all sides of politics. Even the Greens are making a big noise about it. Um, we have the same attitude, and that is we on the left and on the right, the Conservatives and the non-Conservatives, you know, uh, the Liberal uh, party, you know, and which is on the right, and the um, Labour Party, which is on the left, and the Greens, which are on the socialist side, and all that sort of stuff, they're all um, not too keen on China having much influence in Australia. And I know the political parties in China are different, they're communists now, and all that sort of stuff, I don't care. Um, it's still the same debate as we had in the lead-up to Federation and the voting in of a white Australia policy, which had a lot more to do with limiting, you know, not wanting, um, especially Asian-style wages and living conditions at that time coming into Australia and making all our towns look like uh, the average Chinatown, 
which is very cramped, and yeah, that's the way they like to live. Look, we've, we're getting it now because people are living in these tiny little boxes going up into the sky in Melbourne now. So we're starting to look like Hong Kong ourselves, you know. Um, but, you know, oh well, goodbye Melbourne. I'm just saying what Australian culture has been, what it is now, you know, and what it will be, which is three different things, you know. And in some ways, look, it's going to change and change dramatically. Um, but I'm saying it's been good and bad in the past. It's good and bad now, and it's going to be good and bad in the future. And uh, and right the way through, it's not going to be all that kind to Indigenous people in Australia. Okay, that'll do. This time that'll do.